Dave Chang is an avid student and fan of sports, music, art, film, and of course, food. With a rotating cast of guests, they have conversations that cover everything from the creative process to his guests' guiltiest pleasures. Follow The Dave Chang Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Lippman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. I mean, it's Monday, but obviously we got to talk about Meghan and Harry's interview with Oprah. I mean, is there anything else to talk about today? Absolutely not. Um, What were the conditions under which you watched? So I live in Los Angeles and CBS decided to delay this on the West Coast as they do for the Grammys and mostly other events that I don't really care about, but I obviously care deeply about this. Uh, We'll talk more about CBS's production choices later in this podcast. Um, So I had the interesting experience of, I had a lot spoiled for me. Um, I did my best. I did my best to stay away from social media. I did my best to stay away from um, the tabloids. I'm a human being. I was like, obviously very interested in this. I had a lot of people contacting me about the content during the interview Um, so I had some of it spoiled, but I thought that was okay because in a way it was interesting to see the dichotomy between like what something is when you read it through the lens of like clickbait or social media or just someone else's interpretation of it versus like watching the primary source. Sure. Um, and the other thing that's interesting is that uh, like a lot of people in the UK, um, will not be seeing it until Monday night. So till after this podcast posts. Yeah. I'm not going to presume to speak. Uh, to the British point of view. And it felt, I, in fact, I felt very American while watching it. But um, I guess I did have that experience as well. What was your uh, watching like? Um, I watched with two friends who are also invested in following royals everywhere through um, the media. And I mostly stayed off social media and text while watching and just really like kind of locked in. Um, I'm on the East Coast, so I was able to. We were we were a little behind, so I started getting text messages, but I sort of like ignored them. But then we caught up by the end, right? Um, and yeah, I mean, it was like 
it turned out to be much bigger than I expected. And the the ratings are in 17 million people watched 17.1 actually, which is, I believe, um, three times the audience for the golden globes one yeah. week prior. Um, this feels like the biggest like cultural event outside of the Mandalorian in a really long time. Yes. Huge. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, like, I was surprised um, and shocked and saddened by a lot of things in it, but I was also surprised by the, like, extent of what was in it and how kind of seismic it was and also how many people paid attention because I, I had felt a little bit of, like, that people were kind of over it. Yeah. Um, I, like, I had spoken to a lot of people in the run-up to it and friends, like, were, like, pretty hazy on what was going on and, like, why you know, all of the the mess last week, which I guess we have to talk a little bit about, like just the, the smear campaign that the palace ran against Meghan Markle, which was like pretty obviously that. And I was heartened at least to see some media outlets covering it as such. But I don't know. My dad sent me like a link from The Guardian being like, what's going on here um, on, I believe, Saturday. And so I kind of thought it was one of those things where people who follow this stuff were really locked in and and people who love Oprah, which is a very large group, um, of which I am also a member, cared, but no one else really did. And, and that was wrong. This was huge. Yeah, it was huge. I think also actually because of the time delay, because it was only live on the East Coast, not everywhere, people on the West Coast, I think may have watched maybe when they weren't going to because they heard people mm-hmm. talking about it or saw people tweeting about it. And so there was more interest as a result. I'm sure that was not intended, but it's like probably a benefit to to CBS. I can provide anecdotal evidence that at about 6.30 PST, my husband texted me and was like, seems like this is really juicy. I'm going to watch with you. And he did. <laughs> and you know what? I really appreciated that because as someone who interviews people for a living, he had some like real insights into what was going on here and just like a tremendous amount of admiration for Oprah, which I share. Let's, yeah. let's just get this right out up top. Like we'll talk about the content and which I found... Um, like I said, to to be deeper than I expected, to be um, really just like sad. Um, and I have a lot of um, empathy for Meghan Markle and I'm really glad that they got out of there. I just like, I don't know how you can have any other response to this. Um, I just also thought Oprah was fantastic. She was amazing. She, I find um, her calm and her the gravity of Oprah to be like incredibly moving. The fact that she exists and she like came out of kind of like, you know, just kind of like came out of cable, came back to the network, was like, hey, world, let's get to the bottom of this. Like, let's talk about it. Really incredible. And she, you know, she many times pushed them to speak very succinctly. It was almost like they're doing a Mad Libs. Mm-hmm. And she did everyone a benefit, like a, she did everyone a favor by by insisting on that. Because I think at points, as they are clearly working through a lot of this stuff, they kind of like would speak a little circularly. And Oprah would be like, okay, so in the most basic, you know, at the end, she's like, why did you leave? And she makes them answer. It makes Harry answer in a very like straightforward way. And it, it's, it was really moving and she did an incredible, incredible, incredible job. I love Oprah. She's like, yeah, amazing. I think a lot of the reaction, or at least like one branch of the reaction where people just being reminded, like Oprah does this, like no one else. And, you know, she hasn't had the show for a while. And, you know, I know she has her own network and does interviews, but this has not been like her bread and butter in the way that it was 15 or 20 years ago when you and I were kind of growing up. Um, yeah. And there's, there's no one like her. And I thought part of what she did so expertly was really like create an environment where they felt comfortable 
speaking really emotionally. And the arc of the interview is really interesting to me because I think it's about the first 30 minutes were slightly more, they they were about like the tabloids and they were kind of about like palace intrigue and not Googling Harry and like the, the flower girl dresses. And the flower girl dresses is actually about a larger thing as Oprah led her to of like how the tabloid media treated Kate versus how the tabloid media treated Megan and the difference there being racism, plain and simple. Um, but you know, I think the first 30 minutes, it was kind of like what I expected. Mm -hmm. And then I did not expect the next hour. I did not, I mean, I I don't think anyone expected the the revelations about the, the quote concern, the conversations around, um, Archie's skin tone and just like the blatant racism. Um, but really the, the emotional stuff and the, the, the mental health and the struggle that Megan went through. And, and I, I think, you know, again, I don't know what else you say to her, say about that, except that it's just like incredibly sad and, yeah. and, and appalling that she was not offered any support and appalling that she, um, felt so alone and, and you hope that she has support now and is feeling better. Can I, I just, question, can I ask you a yeah, question yeah. before, um, we get more into the content? Are you sure that they showed it? in linear fashion. I'm not sure that they showed it chronologically. I, and I don't that's think a they did. Point. I don't you think don't. they did. No, I, my guess, I mean, I'm sure that it was like there, like there was a general shape to it, but my guess is that there was Megan, there was Megan and Harry, and then there was Megan again. And obviously the way that it was like, I, I think they probably did a portion with Harry, but I would guess that they started and ended with just Megan and Oprah. Um, and I, I, I was trying to like check you know, like the lighting and I like, cause they were outside and, and trying to like kind of understand the time of day throughout a lot of it. Um, through, you know, as they said, Oprah said it was like three hours and 25 minutes. I, I think that one thing that's interesting is a, the edit that they put together, there was yeah. like only one really obvious Franken bite where there was like, they showed they, they use a different camera angle to show Megan from like behind slash the side while Harry was talking. So that it was like some weird coverage or something. They might have just not gotten the right shot. Might the shot might have gotten messed up. Like who knows? But um one of the stipulations for all the networks is that that bought this from Harpo, Oprah's production company, is that they could not make any changes. So the cut that every network is going to get is the same cut. They couldn't even cut their own commercials. Like Harpo did all of that work. Um, and so I do think there is a lot of like artistry that went into how Harpo put this together. Yeah, absolutely. And the edit you bring up is a good point because um, CBS this morning, their morning show with, with Gail King, a friend of Oprah, by the way, Gail clarified on CBS this morning was not her house. Not her house. Um, (laughs) Oprah was like, I have friends. It was just a friends. We're not getting into it. Um, But they, they played extra clips. Um, The clips about, where Oprah asks about Megan's relationship with her father and the half sister who will not be named because like, we're not, we're not going to give that the time of day. Yeah. Um, Megan said that, um, her half sister hadn't been using the last name Markle. And then when she started dating, when Megan started dating Harry, the half sister brought Markle back for like the notoriety, which is if true is sick. Right. You know, and there's the question about Harry, flying back to the UK and wanting to meet with the queen and suddenly being told like the queen is busy. Like there are a few clips, things that didn't make it in. And so you do then become aware, okay, this like, which we knew, but like, this is an edit choices were being made. 
sequencing, as you point out, um, is intentional. It is not necessarily what happened in the room. I thought the sequencing that they wound up with in terms of walking us from, okay, you're expecting some dish to, okay, this was like in- incredibly serious and sad and a total yeah. abdication of duty as like a, a system and a family and like human beings. Um, and I, like, I-, I texted you this morning being like, they got a really great edit. And I think that can sometimes be understood in like the reality TV phase of like this person's cast as the villain, this person is cast as the so-and-so. But I just meant, I, I didn't mean it in that way. I think that they got an edit that really speaks to like like the emotions and what was actually going on there and what Oprah was able to share with them in a way um, that I thought was really effective. Yeah, they, 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 this special, I think, um, presented a story that is very clear. And that, in my opinion, that story is that Megan and Harry had to leave because they didn't feel protected from insidious racism and like psychological deterioration, essentially. And, and not every, just, yeah, yeah, not just they didn't feel protected, but they had absolutely no support and were in fact, in some ways like being punished and yeah. like undermined and that the, the mental health was being exacerbated. Yeah. Um, Cause every, every anecdote they told kind of pointed back to that. Essentially mm-hmm. every story was, a, was along the way was about like the first, the, you know, and we'll dig more into them, but the story about the bridesmaids dresses was like, Kate, wasn't supporting me when I really needed to be supported uh, as this, the drama with her father was unfolding. Um, and not only was she not supported then, but then the, some, you know, the media twisted the story like by 180 degrees. And yeah. then the story about Archie's title was again about like, how much will we be protected and supported when we have this child? And there's going to be a lot of interest. And of course, you know, I, I think, I think the one part of this that, maybe we should talk about now doesn't actually directly go to that, but is in some ways so much worse is the, is the questions that Harry was faced with that he relayed to Megan about what Archie would look like, which is just like so appalling and disgusting that Oprah was taken aback. It's so ugly and it is, and it's shocking and it, maybe it's naive to be shocked. Um, you know, and I certainly I cannot fully understand what it is like to experience the level. I, I can't understand it at all what it is to experience the racism that Megan experienced. So maybe it's naive on my part to be shocked, but like I was completely shocked. And I think a lot of people were. Um, I think maybe you expect like casual racism. You know, there was that moment where Harry mentions the letter of support from 72 members of parliament for Meghan Markle, and he cites the colonial undertones. Um, And it is worth pointing out that his family were the original colonizers. Like, that is a little bit what we're dealing with with this institution. Um, And and yet, when you actually see it still literalized in 2021 in conversations like that, it's shocking. I thought they genuinely wanted to help the monarchy change their relationship to the Commonwealth. I actually thought that seemed very genuine, even if it was very naive. I do think that like they thought they could have a really um, impactful career as like ambassadors to the African nations that are part of the Commonwealth, because Harry has talked a lot as an adult about like 
his work in Angola and Botswana. And of course they talk about their story of like camping together in Botswana and they did their tour, like that big tour there. I, and, and they mentioned it a few times in the special. And I genuinely think that like they thought they could make, they could change their monarchy's relationship to the Commonwealth. And I, I thought that was like pretty admirable and, um, another like really sad piece of this so that they actually like, really wanted to do that work. Um, as like, as like their role as working Royals. And that was another thing that was like denied for them. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting tension. One of many throughout the interview is that they are really insistent. They didn't quit. They didn't want to walk away. They, they wanted to be a, a part still of this institution that treated them abominably. And they, they are very, very conscious of how they speak about the queen throughout the conversation. You know, I don't know if you saw on CBS this morning, Oprah said that she couldn't get Harry to give an answer on who he had the, mm-hmm. the, the, the conversation Archie conversation with. with. Um, but but that the he, queen or Philip. Yes. That he wanted to clarify that it was not the queen or Philip. And I, Philip was one of the names that was speculated um, widely and kind of what I thought just because of Philip's history of really racist comments. I assumed it was Charles and 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 maybe Will, because just like with Corden, they did not mention by name until directly asked, which obviously James Corden too. They did not mention Will or Charles. And Megan used the first hour to speak glowingly of the queen and to explicitly say she is a good person in reference to Kate. So, you know, it's very, very, very clear to me that the like absolute nuclear schism is between Harry and his brother and his father. Yeah. And I I really would underline his father. I think like that's the main takeaway. There are conversations and Oprah followed up a lot about this. Oprah followed up a lot and then had a habit of like cutting Harry off when he was just like meandering through because he's not really the arm target, uh, concise answerer that Megan is. Um, she's extremely talented at, you know, at public speaking, which is, is a real talent and a get and a skill. Uh, and he's working on it, but it kept coming back to, to Charles. And like the, the aside about when he was still before he stopped returning my calls, I know uh, that that made me and my two friends gasp literally. Yeah, of course. Um, and that and that was intentional. And I that's that's what happens, I guess, when someone behaves that way. But uh, yeah, it Charles seems to uh be the focus of a lot of of these these things, these blind items. Yeah, absolutely. Also, you know, the thing about Charles that I think kind of if you're trying to again put together a narrative of understanding what's going on here. And I, and again, like I don't, we're not trying to narrativize the racism against Megan that needs no narrative. It's obvious and clear how disgusting and um, horrible it is. And, you know, seeing her talk about it was like just really shaking because it was just so horrible. But I think to Perry's relationship with his father and thinking about how to like process that, like this person is respected internationally is like Charles. I think has spent most of his life, probably, I don't know him, but from what I can tell, preparing to be king. And it seems like there's a lot of like protecting the monarchy as he sees it and thinks it should be for when he's king and like kind of like pulling in the reins. And um, he's always 
wanted a slim down monarchy and fewer um, working senior royals, et cetera. This kind of like perniciousness, I think, falls into that vision. Uh, that's kind of like, that's like really based on my own interpretation from everything I've read over the last few years, but that's like kind of how I interpret a lot of this information. Yeah. A a thing to remember here is that Philip is 99 years old and the queen is 94. Yeah. I mean, Um, Philip's been in the hospital for the last few years. And Philip's been in the hospital, but like, you know, before that, like old people (laughs) respectfully, just a long life. And Charles has spent his entire life kind of waiting to have any sort of say over his own life um, without a lot of grace, uh, as has been documented in The uh, the Crown, which we've all seen, including Oprah, but in every piece of journalism that has ever been written about him. And th- we can talk a little bit more about the famous Diana interview, the Panorama interview that this was compared to, but uh, I think a lot of people forget that before the Panorama interview, there was a um, Charles interview. And he went first and he um, took a lot of his complaints to the public because I think he has always felt rightly or or not. And I think most everyone would say not at this point that he just has been, you know, in the shadows and not gotten to do what he wants to do his whole life. And like that might be true in the sense that you're not king, but I think it's manifested in some pretty ugly behavior. and what you're referencing, like his attempts to kind of refashion things, um, his and his offices, we should say, but there's been some interesting commentary about how I think the reality is, is that if a, if a principal, if an actual member of the Royal family wants to call their office off or to, um, change what's going on, they often can. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's the choice not to, it's letting someone else do the dirty work. But yeah, his, like everything that you're talking about, about the slimmed down monarchy and it needs to be like this is, is possibly the closest chance he's ever going to get to being king. And so he is uh, expressing a lifetime of grievance yeah. in pretty unflattering ways. Yeah. And just um, absolute internalized uh, racism. Let's yeah. talk about some of the other, we think it's not, it's not um, been confirmed. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay authenticity guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A. 
A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. But let's talk about some of the other specifics that, that came mm-hmm. out as a result of the, that came out from the interview. I think, I think we should talk about the title thing because that okay. was a, a big point of emphasis. So Megan explained that she identified things had changed for her with her relationship to the monarchy and to the, to the firm, as she kept saying, um, when she was pregnant. And that's because a few things happened then. One is she said there are these conversations about what Archie would look like. And at the same time, they were told that Archie would not be getting the title of prince, which meant that he would not be um, granted like uh, security from the crown at the time of birth. Mm-hmm. And at the time that he was born, I went back and I read the stories, specifically in the BBC. The story was that Megan and Harry declined to have Archie be named a prince. And so in this in the interview, Megan said it was a break from protocol that he was not named a prince, which I'm actually not positive that it is. I It might be, but I couldn't confirm that. But I think that the important point is she's saying that because it was decided not by Megan and Harry and she doesn't and she's in and she said it was by the institution um, decided that he wouldn't be named a prince until Charles ascended. He wasn't granted this security right away. And that really upset her. Yeah. So for me, the key takeaway here is the protection. And it's just, it's like, it's straight up unconscionable to deny any of them protection. Uh, You know, we all know how Prince Harry's mother, Diana died and it is, she didn't have royal protection. And the, the absence of that security and the absence of kind of any protection against just like the, the vulture media complex is like understood to be a huge factor in her death. And so to not provide security um, for her son, for for a new member of the royal family who is exhibiting just like, who is living through Diana 2.0, certainly in the media. And it would seem like behind the scenes a lot as well. And for a baby, I, like, I don't get that. I don't, yeah, I don't, it's I don't know about the, the, the title stuff. Um, well, they they are contradicting the the media. Like she said, that that is not true. We wanted it for the protection, not just for the grandeur. She had a comment about that, but that is the second piece of sort of the right. of this story that we got last night that directly contradicts what was in the media at the time of these events, which they made clear they felt those stories were all seated between cooperation between the tabloids and the crown and the institution, and so. 
it's it's pretty i think specific to point out that like the stories with with absolute certainty said megan and harry don't want this and she said yes we did and it was all about the safety of her child right um no i think that's totally right i you know the title stuff and the prince it's like it's all arcane you know made up royal nonsense but I do also think at some point is related to like tax structures and all that sort of thing. Right. And like how many people qualified on how versus how many people have to have security on the private dime. Like, I don't really know how it works. And I do know that in terms of taxpayer money, it's kind of like always in contention. Um, and so I, I, I don't understand. I think that that is, if I had to guess how the palace responds on that one, I feel pretty sure that it's going to be some sort of thing about like XYZ taxpayer, yada, yada, when he became this. And of course they would be a part of that, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I just don't think there's any defense to, we're not going to give protection to a a small child and to princess Diana's son and to a new member of the Royal family. (laughs) It's kind of related to that. Harry also mentioned that when they first got together and first got engaged, someone in the family was like, she might have to keep acting and there's not enough money to pay for her. And she's not a working member of the family. And that's like so insane. If you look up the net worth of the queen and then separately Charles, it's like so much money that I can't even comprehend it. So like they just were being, you know, withholding at, at, at best case and cruel at worst for just to punish her or because they, I don't know why, but that's, that's what they were doing. And it's just like crazy when you take it all together. And a lot of it is my understanding is private wealth. Like it's right. not related to taxpayer money. And I, you know, I know that that becomes a thing and the, the taxpayers in the UK, it's up to them whether they want to pay for this stuff. It's really not I, like, I don't have to pay for it. I just watch it, but it's pretty galling. And, and yeah. Harry also, confirmed that as soon as they made their announcement, he was just cut off of all funding. Now he was okay. Cause he had, a, you know, money left from Diana. Um, but again, Charles just like Google Charles's personal wealth. Like, it's sick. It's like, and it's basically a feudal system as I understand it. Again, yeah, I'm not, tons a, of land. yeah, I'm not like an expert on all of these arrangements, but it's, it's quite something. And it's just like extremely spiteful. Yeah, I believe there's the Duchy of Cornwall and the Duchy of Lancaster. And yeah. those are giant land holdings that they make a ton of money off of. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's so crazy. It's like all this land in the UK. It's it's really nuts. Um, and then, you know, another sort of really big piece of this interview is her, her discussion about her um, suicidal ideation, yeah. which was incredibly sad. Something Diana also talked about when she was... Um, yes. When she was uh, married to Charles. And I think that gave... Um, I think it really took a lot of people back because it was so, so serious and really scary, but I think also put into perspective many things that she and Harry have said over like the last two years about their work for the mental health and, and sort of like how they've alluded to this. And it definitely, she was referring to some photos of her in this, um, sequin dress when she was pregnant, when they went to Royal Albert hall. But then I think you can just, you know, go back to so many moments where we've talked about them. They've made an appearance, you know, like just puts it in a whole new light. And it was really, really upsetting and very affecting. Yeah. I, I just, again, I don't know how you watch that and feel anything, but just, um, deep empathy for her and relief that they were able to get to a better place. And, you know, as, as Harry said, um, he was very worried about history repeating himself and like the Diana parallels are really stark. Um, but Harry says like, I'm just glad that I have 
someone beside me. My mother was completely alone. Um, but the, the way the isolation that you can feel in the midst of this insane global attention and also in the midst of a a major institution that has a lot of experience and should, should have learned from previous mistakes and like a family, which is the other thing, you know, that's, what's so tense about all of this is that it is like a billion dollar industry and some sort of historical, whatever, if you want to buy that stuff, but it is also a family and just the amount of pressure and uh, like isolation put on this one person that's like completely untenable and um, that she couldn't get any support even when she asked for it. Yeah. Yeah, I know that. I assume that to be Charles too. I mean, again, there's, there's no basis for this. When she said that she asked a senior Royal who said, sorry, I hope you feel better, but I can't help you. I assume that was Charles as well. I don't like who else is she going to for that? I mean, I don't know. I I don't know. I mean, just so crazy though. I, I I think that it was also well put together the special because some of the things at the beginning, I kind of rise, raise an eyebrow at, but then by the end I was like, it's so inconsequential doesn't matter. But like when she's like, she didn't Google Harry. I don't think anyone who's had a date in the last 20 years has like not Googled that person. So that was like very hard for me to believe, but I'm sure there's like some truth in there into like how much she studied her future husband. Yeah. I th- it's like a rhetorical flourish. And I think some of the rhetorical flourishes work well than others. I like, I think that anecdote was meant to convey that she didn't have a full understanding of this like really Baroque system that she was entering um, and didn't, you know, wasn't like a massive royal watcher. She spent her time more wisely on like some people on this podcast, <laughs> um, you know, and, and like, that is like the thing about not knowing how to curtsy and then like rolling up and curtsying outside and like Fergie running out being like, do you know what to do? The Fergie and Andrew of all this, so we're going to put a pin in that. Um, but that really, that illustrates the point, you know? Um, and I think is important to understand because then you're caught up in this like complete madness and no one is helping and you don't know what to do. You know, another anecdote that really did work for me was like having to Google the British national anthem to like learn all the words to God save the queen because she's an American. And like, why would you know that? I don't know that. Um, so yeah, I like the, I didn't Google him at all. I, I don't totally believe it either, but I don't really think it matters. I get what she was trying to communicate. Yeah. I sometimes I just think that like, that like you call it a rhetorical flourish. And I think that's a great way of yeah. kind of couching it, but it's just like Oprah's being so specific and like really trying to get to the bottom of things here. That's just like, that's actually not helpful. I feel like those kinds of sort of rhetorical flourishes and honestly, like a gift for storytelling mm-hmm. is like in some ways counterproductive. Like I think some of the ways in which Harry bumbles in this kind of setting actually like works in his favor in terms of how it's received because it doesn't seem so polished that you're like, wow, this is really raw. He's mad at his father. Whereas Megan has so much poise when she, in the clip that was released this morning where Megan, um, excuse me, Oprah asks about her father. She pauses, she thinks, and she says, I'm, I'm thinking about if I'm even comfortable answering this. And I think that like that poise of that certainly comes from being a performer that's, you know, which was her career. I feel like people hold that against her in some ways because it's like too polished. And, um, I think that's like unfair. Yeah. We have this kind of fetishization with authenticity, but like nobody, yeah, but like nobody actually wants anything authentic. Like what we want is like a, a really dialed in 
self-aware performance that like hits all of the right notes. And that's like very hard to do. And then of course, when we get it, we're like, well, you know, she hit all the right talking points. And I like include myself in this. Like, you know, we are all like media watchers, like to the extent that we understand this to be some like great charade for our entertainment where, you know, it's, it's kind of like reality TV and we all watch it. And then everybody goes home like richer or like in money or in entertainment. Um, And I think part of the genius of the Oprah interview was kind of peeling back those layers and being like, no, 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 this isn't entertainment. This is people's real lives. And Mm -hmm. these, and these people are real people and we're really struggling and they are not just, just because they're good at talking about it um, and can communicate it. um, It, it doesn't make it less real. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up authenticity because Megan, and showing Oprah the chicken coop says, we just want to live an authentic life. And I was just like, <laughs> the chicken scenes, I really hated. I just can't tell you how much I didn't need them. The only thing that I liked about it was that it was the day after the interview and Harry looked so distressed and like very uncomfortable and sort of like sick of the cameras. I thought it spoke to probably the toll of this whole thing is really taken on them. But I really did not need a tour of the chicken coop where um, Archie has like the chicken, which I guess we also saw on their Christmas card. Um, or something very similar. Yeah. That again was like a, that's a visual or, um, production rhetorical flourish that wasn't like my number one favorite. I think the, the part of it that stands out for me is, um, in, in one of those clips, Megan reveals that, um, she and Harry actually had a wedding three days before that was just for them, which I think is a like really lovely idea. Um, I like the British press are going after that today. Well, refuting it, you know what? Like anything, I I don't know whether it was legal. I don't like, I like, I honestly don't care who, like who gives a fuck. Like the idea that because the main wedding was going to be this like giant production for literally 2 billion people that, that they would have some time for themselves and like have an occasion and, and like do vows and just kind of spend some time between the two of them. I think that's a really lovely idea. Uh, I think that's like really important to a marriage. And I just think it speaks well of them. The sentence that was like, so it was just the two of us and the Archbishop of Canterbury, like in a chicken coop. I, like, I, I don't know whether they just like, it didn't quite land, you know, but I, I, I laughed at that. But like, who cares? I think yeah. it's a nice idea. And if they needed the Archbishop of Canterbury there to be a part of that experience, why not? Go for the history, I guess. Um that just sort of played into this other feeling of like everything that happened to them is wrong. And I really feel for them, but sometimes like this, we've talked about this before sort of being like that, you know, we needed to do Netflix and Spotify to be able to protect my family. He, Harry said that it's like, there's definitely a cheaper way to live like safely and like with protection. And I do, I do feel like there was just a little bit of a um, disconnect between like the life they felt they were pursuing versus the life we see them living. And I, I don't hold it against them. I mean, also like, I'm sure as Harry, you know, leaving Royal life, it'll be like very challenging, but it's certainly not like the cheapest way to do this and to like go about it. And so like sort of like the justification of we're doing this for safety also was just sort of like, didn't, didn't really resonate with me. I am sure that the British press will do a lot of accounting for yeah. anyone who's interested in it in the next few days. And again, for me, like I, I think security like really costs a lot more than we understand at the level that they need it. And one thing that it, um, 
that all these conversations really drove home for me. Just like the level of threats with them and the way that the the racism really elevates the level mm-hmm. of threats, um, which is a in sad and scary and horrifying and they need security. And obviously because of what Harry lost his mother in large part because of her loss of security and also like invasive media attention, those two things coming together. I Like I understand why it's a priority for them and I understand sure. why they want to pay like, you know, tons of money. I like, I do I'm just saying, think I'm just saying no, it's a cheaper, cheaper gated community than Montecito. Totally. And I thought it was, it was interesting the way that they portrayed it as like, we, we had never thought of this. Like I, you know, I, I do wonder how Netflix feels about that. And I did also wish I had heard a little bit more about, you know, all the mental health initiatives that they are pursuing, which obviously has a personal resonance to them. I believe they just started a partnership with like World Central Kitchen, which is a really deserving organization. Um, And again, it was a three and a half hour conversation. And as Oprah said in edit, an hour and 25 minutes, and you had to go for the main stuff. But like, but I, I agree with you that maybe those weren't, we didn't get like the full thoughts there. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that Harry and Oprah had a, had a, um, a show together for Apple. Did you know that? I did. It's one of those things that's been in development for several years. Oh, interesting. Oh, not gotcha. several years, but I, like, I believe it was part of Apple TV plus is like an initial announcement. And then Apple TV plus has gone through whatever Apple TV plus has gone through. <laughs> uh, that's a different podcast. Oh man. How do you think the um the uh crown will respond? Actually, before we answer that, yeah. I was I really appreciated the um this the discussion about distinguishing the family from the institution. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was actually like very useful and like I thought a, a good explication for like most of the people who are probably watching this. And and for me, I mean it's still hard to like make those distinctions. I thought that was interesting. I thought it was interesting that they wanted that to be clear. So funny because I do think that's really, I guess it's an important distinction, but I watched them make that distinction. And then I was surprised by the extent to which they were going for their complaints were about the family um, mm-hmm. and, and, and not the institution. I, like I, it really did seem like what we saw was about conversations with Royal family members. It was conversations with, it was like actual family members in whether in their capacity as a family member or as a royal, not completely failing these two. Yeah. So, I, like, I do think there's the question about why couldn't the um, queen meet with you? And, you know, Oprah follows up with, like, can't the queen do what the queen wants to do? And there's a very long pause from Harry. And, like, I think you can really see him, like, thinking through every single person around him and, like, being around the queen and being very angry at them before he says, like, no, there are people around them. So perhaps there was more emphasis on the, like, the institution and the, quote, firm in clips we didn't see. But I think they made that distinction clear, and then they made it super clear that the family, like, but. Betrayed, didn't like step hurt up. them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, like they, basically they have a legal battle with the institute. It's almost like the the legal battle with the tabloids. As I, after I watched Harry talk about mm-hmm. this, I was like, it's almost like the legal battle with the tabloids is almost like it's like a proxy war for fighting with the institution. And whereas because he made they make it seem like the sort of the stories that we get are decided in, on um, hand in hand by the two, whereas they're really emotionally 
battered by the lack of support and protection from their family. Yeah. I, I do think that the institutions do work very closely together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the Christmas party anecdote is extremely damning. Um, and I, and I do think you and I understand that like most people don't really understand how like, you know, tabloids work and we're always trying here all the time, you know, check your sources and understand how these stories are coming together. And like, you need to know like where you're getting your news from. You need to know like the interests and the finances and all of this competing interests at play. I like, I do think the idea that the palace is just writing exactly what they want in the media without any check from the tabloids is like sort of overstating it. Yeah. Especially Um, when you think about the drunken photos of Harry and Eugenie and Beatrice that have been out there over the years. Right. Like not to fall back too much on the crown, even though everyone has, and basically at this point, Harry and Meghan have been like, well, some of that's not wrong. (laughs) Some of that seems right. Um, but there is an episode, I believe in the most recent season, it's the, um, it's the apartheid episode. Mm. And is it? No, I don't know if it's the apartheid episode. Um, but essentially, yeah, it is. And the, the queen really wants sanctions and Margaret Thatcher doesn't. And so the queen is like, leak it. Um, the, the queen does the, the instructs her press secretary to do the thing that is, is being discussed, although in a way that would be favorable to her. And then they lose that press battle. Because, like, right. the press, like, turns back on them. Um, listen, the the press in the UK is a, insti- is a wild institution all its own and pretty horrific and capable of ruining lives, as we have seen time and time again. And I do think that the palace does their best to have a favorable version in the tabloids because, as Harry's completely right, like if people aren't paying attention to the Royal family, then like, why do they exist? Yeah. What is the point of them at, at, at this point? But I like, I don't know if they have f- full carte blanche. So what do you think they do here? You alluded to this last week. They did a preemptive strike of releasing ridiculous, horrific stories. The one that was like the most perplexing was the one about Megan wearing earrings from, um, Saudi Arabia after, um, Khashoggi had already been murdered. And, I don't even like have anything to say about that other than like, why are we litigating this through the tabloids? And like, also it's not new news. So like why right now? I mean, it's just like, uh, it was, as her, she said, it was an obvious smear campaign. There were, and then, the, and then they're doing an investigation into Megan bullying her staff, but they're not investigating Prince Andrew. Um, it's sick. Right. No, it's, sick. It, it's, it's completely sick. And the timing was so completely obvious, um, that like I said, I was almost heartened to see how many media organizations and many of them were American, I will just say, but who were extremely wise to this spin immediately. And like, that was the coverage. Um, that was like a small ray of media hope, at least of like the, the palace is clearly leaking this. There was one, uh, interesting interview I read, I believe in the guardian, um, because it was understood that this is perhaps like palace aides or people, you know, like the so-called firm, the institution kind of leaking and trying to get ahead of this. And a, like a former royal press aide 
was like, if, if anyone, any senior member of the Royal family wanted this to stop, it would stop. Right. So again, that's pretty tough. Um, I have no idea how the Royal family responds to this. I think that there is not much that they can, like, you can't overturn any of this. You can't say this isn't true. Yeah. Um, and not only because it would look bad, but just like you actually, you can't actually deny certainly the, like the mental, the, the mental health experience and the suicidal thoughts that Megan went through. And you can't deny the racism because right. it, you know, was on display. Like the, the clips kind of all, all of the tabloid screenshots, like being put on the screen one by one was really overwhelming, even though, you know, we have talked about that and and read those articles, but so they can't deny any of it. And I, I don't think that they can just be like, we're really sorry. Come back just because why would Megan and Harry want to? So I guess they apologize. And like, I, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I think because they'll try to bury today's Commonwealth day and they were released on Instagram. That's just yeah. like totally irrespective of what's going on. That's, uh, sorry. I believe that was, um, uh, Clarence house that did that. Let me, let me confirm, but it's just like, so ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm just like, okay, good try. I mean, this is not even a try, but I don't know. I mean, you know, Tina Brown was on CBS this morning, um, saying it was just like kryptonite for them. I mean, it's pretty wild. Yeah. And reveals not just the complete inability to learn from mistakes and protect the people that it supposedly supports um, and to not correct anything that was going on after Diana, which was just like a complete travesty and has been dissected in the, the press now for 20 years. But just the institutional racism that is at the very core of what this organization is and that they yeah. just absolutely refuse to learn from or try to, to, to write in any way. So I, I don't know what they do. I, I, I suspect that there will be a lot of palace aides falling on swords. There will be a lot of trying to obfuscate through, you know, like the title thing, going through, well, the money's like this and it's actually yeah. blah, 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 blah. I think it'll like, they'll try to do like. Yeah. Litigating bits. on the small stuff. Yeah. Small stuff. And then. Um, Technicalities. Hopefully like express support for Megan and Harry through the queen. You know, I think they'll cling to the fact that Harry and Megan were really respectful of the queen, like are definitely trying to stay in contact with the queen. So. That's my guess. Again, I'm not doing PR work for these people. I'm just like trying, like I'm not. Um, And you know, that was, I'll be honest. I have know too much about this stuff and have spent a large part of my life pretty fascinated by it and thought I knew a lot of things and was really taken aback and am absolutely reevaluating how I think about these people and how much time I give it. Yeah. Um, And maybe, and like, I am a little bit ashamed that it took me this long. But it's I, I, I was really moved, and I really, really feel for Megan. Me too. Me too. I hope they find. Jo- I hope they find joy. I hope they find peace. Mm-hmm. 
And um, just happy to have Oprah back. We get let's get her back on Sunday nights. I mean, I, not that she went anywhere, but it was just great to have her on network television, having everyone's attention at the same time. Because I she's huge, huge, huge audience still. I mean, she's like one of the people who like moves the needle in this world. But like she just it was so captivating, and you know, it was just I don't know. It was it was masterful and inspiring. She's so good at this. Like yeah. she is unbelievably good at this. And not in like this, she got some people to spill their guts, like, you know, confessional booth way, but in, as you said, like guiding both the viewer and really Megan and Harry through like a narrative to be able to express like what's going on with them and their experience in a way that like will really connect with people. Yeah. Because now it's clear. It's like, yeah, there's now you're like, why did Megan and Harry leave the royal family and it's because they were subjected to racism megan was near suicidal because she was or suicidal because she wasn't getting the support that she needed or any of the protection and there was no pathway to getting better with the family and because they tried to make it work and they couldn't like it's yeah. it's now like all out there i feel like i understand them better understand the situation better and they and they also very i think probably crucially to them because i was thinking about why do they agree to this they got to tell their side of the story, which they've obviously been waiting to do for years to like go point by point over. This is how the, this has been completely mischaracterized. Yeah. And, and I will say we've been, I, I have been critical of their press strategy before and we were speculating that they possibly had some new publicists or, you know, we're turning a new page. And I think Choosing Oprah and having access to Oprah is like you can't ask for a better person to help guide you through that experience. Yeah. And it seems like also Oprah, you know, really um, has built a relationship with them over the last few years. And I think Megan's mother as well. Although I'll just say she made it clear on this morning on CBS that she's not that close with them, which I think is also like good perspective. Like she and, and the fact that up top she wanted to make it clear that she did not approve that she did not submit questions for approval and she hadn't spoken to them since the interview. Like, you know, she is extremely professional and un- unassailable. Oprah's the best. I completely agree. Well, I'm sure there'll be more to come in the next few days. It's like really a lot to process. I felt overwhelmed this morning. So I can only imagine what it's like to be Megan every day. Yeah, absolutely. I think we should also just note timing wise that like we are recording this, I believe before this has aired in yeah. the UK proper. And there has been like a lot of overnight coverage and people doing streams and, um, I, you know, stand up in the middle of the night to cover it. So it's in the press, but in terms of the UK being able to see it and then the wave of reaction that comes from that, uh, you know, we aren't there yet. So I, I think it will be a week. Um, and I, I hope people respond with empathy again. It's the, um, UK tabloids that we're talking about. So I'm not <laughs> optimistic. Me neither. <laughs> I've learned from what we watched last night, but just, just so people understand. Um, well, we'll be talking about this as long as it makes sense. And we will be back next week or before. Who knows?
This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.